All right, let's open our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, just marching our way through Timothy. Again, we're going to be in the pastoral epistles for quite some time. And, and uh, I'm also looking forward to uh, the study in the book of Jonah uh, after First Timothy. I just love that book. It's incredible. And, uh, you know, just read it. Read ahead. We looked last time at uh, Paul had these five different take it to the bank sayings and, and he really got to the first one and, and really dealt with uh, what was so important then and I think is so important now as well, the, the false teaching that was going around, the, the weird teaching that was going around and he kind of summed it all up in this statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what he said. That's what it, that's what the bedrock truth is that we need to pay attention to, that, that we can receive, that we can accept, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We're all sinners. Some of us know that. Some of us are still maybe struggling with that idea. But the, the Bible makes it very clear that we're all sinners and we all need, we're all in need of a Savior. And His name is Jesus. Now, Paul calls himself the worst, and then he, he says that he was like an example that if God could save Paul, the worst, then that means he could save what? Anybody. Anybody. He could save you. He could save me. And, and none of us can say, you know, I'm a little too far gone. I'm a little, I'm, I'm too bad. I've done too much. He says his, his patience was Unlimited. Unlimited as an example for those who would believe on him, on Jesus, and receive eternal life. That's what we need to do. Believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. Now today we're going we're gonna to talk, we're going to go on from there, the next few verses about fighting the good fight and avoiding shipwreck. Avoiding shipwreck. You all remember that uh, ship, the Costa Concordia? What a beautiful ship that is, huh? Well, you know where it is now? It's in a scrapyard because... This is what happened to it. A beautiful ship like that, a beautiful thing, you know, steaming along, people having a great time. They're, they're on their vacation of a lifetime. And boy, they're not going to forget that vacation, are they? And then, and then you think about the tragic consequences of it, that 32 people lost their lives. And Paul is talking in this passage about fighting the good fight so that we will not end up like that, so that we will not end up shipwrecked like that. He tells us that there are rocks ahead, that we need to be very, very careful. The rocks are ahead and, ahead and we need to be on our guard. That's what he's talking about here today. That's what I want to think about today as we look at these verses. Let's start in, uh, in verse 18. He says this, Timothy, my son... I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. And among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. 
He starts off, uh, you know, it's, someday I think we'll be able to sit with Paul and find out like what kind of a personality he had. But he, he talks so warmly about Timothy. He says, he's my son. He had this relationship with him where he wanted to teach him and where he wanted to help him or we wanted to encourage him. And we, we talked in the beginning about Timothy and what his personality was like as it's showed to us in the scripture. But he says, Timothy, my son, I want you to know. I want you to know that you need to fight the good fight. And he cared about him. And, and, and I, it makes me think, you know, if we care about people that... that we might have to tell them some difficult things. We get to tell them good things, of course, as well. But, but to, for Paul to tell Timothy, you know, you need to fight the good fight. You need to step up. You need to fight. Sometimes we need to tell that to each other, don't we? Well, that's what Paul's doing to Timothy. And he, he says, you know, I, I give you this instruction. And actually, the language is even stronger than that. It's more like a, a command, an urgent command. I give you this urgent command to, 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 to fight the good fight. You say, well, you know what? I, I just don't have any more strength to fight. I just, I, I can't. I, I don't, I, I'm just ready to give up. It's more than I can take. Well, well, hold on. Let's just get, let's get to the heart of this passage here and see what he's talking about. So he, he says, I, I'm giving you this urgent command. And, and it's very interesting. He says, he says, look what it says there in verse 18. I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you so that by following them, you may fight the good fight. So it appears that, that God had revealed his plan to Timothy and there were prophecies that were made about him. Turn, look at First uh, Timothy chapter four, verse fourteen. It maybe gives us a little bit of a clue about what had happened in Timothy's life. And, and again, it's another kind of a charge that he's given to him in verse fourteen. He says, "Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message." When the body of elders laid their hands on you. So it appears that there was this point in time where the leaders, the elders of this fellowship or, or wherever they were at the time, prayed. They laid their hands on him and prayed for him. And God spoke in some way to, to kind of give some direction to Timothy's life. That God wanted to encourage him. This is, this is the path for you. This is where you're going to go. Now, I believe in all of these things. I believe in the laying on of hands, that we do need to lay hands on people. Sometimes I want to lay hands on people, all right. And that's probably when you shouldn't, right? But it's very biblical about laying hands and praying for people, laying hands on them and, and sending them out. And we do. We, we laid hands on Barbara to pray for her in this trial, in this, in this uh, adventure, we'll, we'll call it. That, that she's embarking upon. So to lay hands on people and to pray for them. And, and, and you know what? We have people here after the, at the end of the service that will pray for you. They'll lay hands on you and pray for you in a, a, a sensitive and a correct way. You know, men with men and, and, and women with women. And because it's biblical, you see. And so this is what happened with Timothy. They prayed for him. Now, did, is that the time that Paul is referring to in chapter 1? Possibly. In Acts chapter 13, 
you know, they're praying, it said, and it, and, and it says the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul to the work for the work to which I have called them. So they were praying at that point for Barnabas and Saul and others. And God spoke and said, set apart these two. And some of you are thinking, well, where is he going with all this? Are we going to start getting strange or something? Well, I want to I say to you today is that, that God can speak today in any way that he wants to. And I'm not going to limit it to, you know, only one area. If God wants to speak through somebody, he will speak through somebody, and he can. I think we need to be open to what the Holy Spirit might want to say. Now, having said that, I think we need to be very careful, too. Because I've been in places where it just gets flat out weird, right? But you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, do you? You can. I said that one time, and, and uh, this girl just started laughing and laughing, and I said, what are you laughing about? She said, because I was just picturing it in my mind, the baby getting thrown out. Now, why that's funny, I don't know. <laughs> but some people, you know, they've got these imaginations. Anyways, we, we, it speaks in the, in the New Testament about the gift of prophecy that God can speak forth through people, Okay? That God is able to speak. He speaks in a lot of different ways. He speaks through his word. He speaks through people. He speaks by his Holy Spirit. He speaks in so many different ways. But are we listening, I think, is more important than arguing about, well, he doesn't do that anymore, or he can't do that. I think it's more important to ask the question, do I want to hear what he has to say? Now, we have checks and balances. We have the checks and the balances of, of this book here that if somebody says something, and obviously it's so, it's so off from what it says here, then you say, well, that's not God. That's not God saying that. And when, when somebody might say something, I, I think it's perfectly in order to say, you know what, I'll pray about that. You know? You know, you know what I mean? I'll pray about that. I, I hear what you say, and... And I'm going to ask if that's really what God is saying. And, and can somebody would say, because, because people are, it seems anyways, there's always somebody wanting to tell you what God's will is for you. And you want to say, well, you know, why don't you ask him what it is for you before you start telling me what it is for me? But again, do we just get rid of that because people have taken this to some wild and crazy and insane, insane uh, extreme? No. But, but I think we need to be open. And if, if God is, is, is working in, in our fellowship and in, in people's lives where we're in fellowship with one another, and he, he says to you, you know, I, I, I'd like you to encourage so-and-so to maybe they should try this. Maybe they should think about doing this kind of ministry because, because you know, he's gifting them in that area. And they, and they need someone to come along and say, hey, what about, have you ever thought about, have you ever tried? See what I'm saying? And God can speak through people. So let's, let's be careful, but let's not be so careful that we're paranoid. There's enough paranoia going along. I love that word, paranoia. Just an interesting word. I think it's a Greek word. So Paul, Paul says here, let's get back to where we were uh, in this. Paul says, you know, by following them, the prophecies, in keeping with the prophecies that were once made about you, how God had spoken to uh, Timothy through different people, 
in whatever way God wanted to do it. He says, so by, so by following them, you may fight the good fight. Following them, what them? What are them? Them are the prophecies what God had spoken about his life. You see, you see I believe God does speak, and, and I think that I think that we need to be listening, and, then, and I, don't think he, I don't think, you know, we hear his voice every single day. I, I, I think I'm talking about these, these times where we know that God is saying something to, for me and for my life, and it's, it's, like, it's like really important. It's like part of what he, you know, part of the very core of who he's made me to be. Well, when we hear those kinds of things, I think we need to keep those in mind. And, and that's what Paul says to Timothy here. That's what he said in the fourth chapter. Don't neglect the gift which you have. God has already spoken to you, and he wants you to continue to use that gift that you have. And so for you and me, if we know that God has called us in a certain way, and Paul is reminding Timothy of his call from God, if you have that call, we'll pay attention and, and keep doing it. Because that part of that is, is what it means to fight the good fight. To know what God's call is for your life. To know what God's call is for your life is very, very important. And I, and I believe it comes in stages, too. I think, you know, we, we offer ourselves up to him and say, whatever you want. And he says, okay, go this way. And then it becomes a little clearer and a little clearer and a little clearer as time goes on. But, but to know that, see, that's what gets you through the difficulty. That's what gets you through the hard times, the discouragement. Because you know that God has called you. Because God has spoken to you. That God has done something in your life. There's nothing more exciting, I think, in life than to know that God has spoken to you. Mainly through his word, but again, through other means as well. I, I you know... In my own life, you know, going through difficult periods of time, it, it gets back to that. God has put a call in my life. And so I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep doing what he's called me to do. And it involves teaching the Bible. It involves music uh, and, and, and just being available to what he wants for me. And that gets, that gets me through the difficult times. You know, the people go out on the mission field and they... And they you know, they go and it gets difficult and they go home because they're, they don't really have that sense of that God's called them no matter what. I read about a guy who went to Burma. I read about this last night. And he was there for f almost 40 years. And only 10 people of that whole country came to know Jesus in 40 years. You say, wow, you know, but he knew God called him. He knew God called him, and, and, then, and then it was talking about that years later, the fruit of, of that were millions of people in Burma that, that knew Jesus Christ. The fruit of that man coming, there were no believers there at all when he got there. But can you imagine the discouragement he must have faced? To know your call. So Paul reminds him, he says, you know what, by following them, what was... What was God's calling in your life? The prophecies that were given to you by doing what God has called you to do, going with what you know. Well, maybe you don't know much. Maybe you don't know anything at all yet. But I think you go with what you know. 
Maybe you only know a little bit. Well, God wants me just to show up or God wants me just to make myself available. Well, go with that. Be faithful with what we know one step at a time. And, and, and God will, you know, he's faithful to reveal the rest to us. He's faithful to show us the way as we step out. You can't move a vehicle that's stopped unless you pick it up. You can't change the direction of a vehicle that's stopped unless you actually physically pick it up and turn it like this. Now, God does that sometimes in our lives, I understand. But mostly when a vehicle's moving, it's very easy to turn. You just turn the steering wheel and it very easily turns. But he gets to the heart of this point here is that, you know what? When it's all said and done, that we're, we're, we're called to fight the good fight. We're called to fight the good fight. And, and the fact of the matter is that we're in a war. And Warren Wearsby says this, that the Christian life's not a playground, it's a battleground. How many of you believe that? How many of you know that in your life? It's not a playground. It's a battleground. There's a battle. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And, and it's a battle that's worth fighting. He says it's a good fight. That God was working in Timothy's life. And, and Timothy, again, he needed this kind of encouragement. He needed kind of a, a Paul, the mentor, the guy to, to strongly talk to him. Listen, Timothy, God is doing this in your life. You need to pay attention and you need to fight the good fight. Don't quit. He says it's a good fight. It's worth fighting. It's worth fighting. There are some things worth fighting for. Is that not true? What's that saying? You've got to pick your battles because some things are not worth fighting for. And usually, in, I find in relationships, we end up fighting for things that are not really worth fighting for or about. Is that true? Think about the last time you had a fight. Maybe in the car on the way over here. Was it really worth fighting for? There are some things that are really worth fighting for. And he says here, this is worth fighting for. Fighting for, you know, there was a big fight in the news. They, they called it the fight of the century, right? You, you all heard about that last night. The, the most, uh, 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 well, what's the word, biggest money fight, I think, ever. And, and really, that's what it was all about. It was all about money. And I saw a little clip of the interview with one of the guys, and, well, why are you doing this? He says, well, in the end, I'm a businessman. I'm a businessman, and you know, I may not even want to do this, but I'm a businessman, so I'm, I'm going to make some big money, and he, and he stood to make about $100 million for about an hour. That's pretty good wages, $100 million bucks. That's a big fight. That's for money, but you know what? We're in a fight, too, and it's a spiritual battle, but it's worth way more than money. It's about our spiritual lives. It's about, it's about the world around us. It's about the people around us that are, that are uh, lost. Look at chapter 6. Turn ahead to 1 Timothy chapter 6. He, he talks about it there. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. He gives it a little more definition there. The good fight of the faith. He says, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good profession in the, in the presence of 
many witnesses in the sight of God, which, who gives life to everything, and of Jesus, Christ Jesus, who, while testifying, and so on and so forth. Fight the good fight of the faith. He gives us some more definition about what it's all about. It's a good fight of the faith. You see, it's, it's about this faith that we have that we need to fight for. Now you say again, I, I, I don't have any strength or whatever. You, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But you and I need to realize something, that our faith is more valuable than anything else in this world. That our faith in, in who he is. Now we don't have faith in our faith. We have faith in him. We have faith in God that he has a plan for our lives and we need, to, we need to know that. We need to understand that. He says, fight the good fight of the faith. Let me ask you a question. Who are we fighting in this world? Three main areas that I know of. There, I'm sure there are more, but there are three main areas. Who are we fighting in this world? Anybody know? Somebody said it over here. Say it a little bit louder, though. We're fighting on three different battlefronts, right? The world around us, it's a big battlefront. It's not the only battlefront, though. The second one is the flesh. Where's that? I'll hit this thing. It's right here. Fighting against ourselves, even. There's a battle that's going on within ourselves to do the right thing, to trust God, to walk with Him. And then the enemy of our souls as well. There's three different battlefronts that are always going on. So again, it's not a playground. It's a battleground there. We're, we're in this battle and God is calling us to fight. God is calling Timothy. And if Timothy can fight, just like if Paul can be saved, any one of us can. If Timothy, as kind of he was kind of a, a shy, kind of uh, fearful person, if Timothy is called to fight, you and I are called to fight as well. And it's a good fight, and it's a good fight of the faith. Sometimes we, we just need to know and understand, you know what, I'm in a battle. I think, I think sometimes it sneaks up on us. And all this stuff's going on, and, we, then, and we're not really cognizant, we're not aware that this is like a battle that's going on, and we need, to, we need to hold on to our faith in the middle of it, and trusting in God in the middle of it. Look at 2 Timothy chapter. Four, he talks about it for the third time. Second Timothy chapter four. And Second Timothy's written when Paul knows that he, he's he's just about at the end of his life. He knows his time is short. Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven and eight. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. If we can say that at the end of our lives, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's what you and I should strive for. That's the example that Paul, Paul is giving to you and I, that, that we need to keep fighting, and not give up, and not stop, not quit. How do we do that? Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. He gives us some clear things here. We can also mention Ephesians chapter 6, speaking about the spiritual warfare and the armor of God. 
But first here, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19, he gives us two things that are, are very important. He says that you may fight the good fight following those things that God has already spoken to you. But look what he says in verse 19. He says, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Two very, very important things. Holding on to faith and a good conscience. To hold on to these things because they're very, very important that we don't just not consider them. Holding on for all we're worth to our faith first. To faith and a good conscience. To our faith. And again, it's not faith in faith. You know what I mean when I say that? Well, I got faith that my faith is going to, you know, be strong. And I got faith that my faith is going to do this and do that. I got no faith in my faith. Because, because that's just me. I don't have faith in me. I have faith in him. My faith is that I trust him. Faith in his in its essence is trust, that I trust him. So he said to fight the good fight, to hold on to faith, hold on to the fact that God is with me, that God loves me, that God has a plan, that God is working, that, that he is going to get me through, that I'm going to keep fighting. I'm going to keep fighting. Because I have a relationship with him. The enemies that we face, again, on all three of those battle fronts, Battlefronts, they, they want us just to let go. Well, you don't really, you know, you don't really need to trust him. Just do this thing on your own. But we have to say no. We, we need to hold on to our faith. Our faith in him. And nurture, nurture it. And protect it to feed, feed it through the word of God, through prayer, through the things that Jim talked about a few weeks back, those, those essential elements of of walking with Jesus, the word of God, prayer, fellowship, the breaking of bread, the breaking of donuts. I just want to see if you're listening. We got a few more minutes, so hold on. Stay with me. Hold on to your faith. Because in the end, what else do you have? This guy that won the 100 million last night. You know, the interesting thing, he was going to get 100 million whether he lost or won. What was he doing? I'm a good businessman. I'm going to go, go buy me another jet now. When it all is said and done, what do we have but our faith in Jesus Christ? You know, we're, we're, read the book of Ecclesiastes. We're all going to be get to the same place. We're all going to get to the place where we stand before God. And, and what is it all about? It's about our faith in Jesus Christ. Do you trust in him or not? Hold on to that. Hold on to that through these battles, and, and that's what's going to get you through. That's what's going to get me through the battles is by holding on to Jesus. The second thing he talks about here is to a good con conscience. Hold on to a good conscience. That, you know, we can talk, we could talk for hours about the conscience, but it's like that compass, that inner voice. And I believe the Holy Spirit can work through our consciences. He's saying, hold on to a good conscience. It's important to pay attention to this conscience that God has given to us. Is it related to behavior? Yes, I believe it is. It's related to behavior. It's, you know, if we're out doing stuff that we shouldn't be doing, our conscience, we're going to have some kind of problem, right? 
Let me just quote to you a few passages. Paul says in, first, in Acts 24, he says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I strive to keep my conscience clear before God and man. In 1 Corinthians 4, he says, My conscience is clear, but, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. In other words, you know, sometimes we're, we're not even quite sure, but we know that God knows for sure. We might think, you know, my conscience is perfectly clear, and God's saying, oh, really, is it? In 2 Corinthians, he says, Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. Our conscience, my conscience is clear. So it's important. We're fighting this good fight and, and if we're involved in things that we shouldn't be involved in, how can our conscience be, be right? How can, how can we have a good conscience? Now, does that mean we're going to be perfect? We're going to get to this place? False teaching in the, in the centuries gone by that we're going to get to that place where we are perfect. How many of you have gotten there? No, it's called sinless perfection. It's, it's, you can do a Google search. Well, is there a doctrine called sinless perfection? Well, if you just keep getting you know, stronger and stronger and closer and closer and you're going to get there and you're not going to sin anymore. Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, he said. So what do we do? Because we're not perfect, and our conscience, we have trouble. What do we do? It seems pretty simple to me. We go to God, and we, and we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, and, and he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, a good conscience is one is that, that is cleansed and that is and brought to God and, and, and by the blood of Jesus um, cleansed and washed. Talks about that in Hebrews as well. I have a little quote here from uh, Charles Spurgeon, and, and you got to listen carefully because he, you know, the old language is kind of interesting, but I, he's talking about the conscience here. And listen what he says. He says, it's a very terrible thing to let conscience begin to grow hard. For it soon chills into northern iron and steel. He says, it is like the freezing of a pond. The first film of ice is scarcely perceptible. But keep the water stirring and you will prevent the frost from hardening it. But once... Let it film over and remain quiet, and the glaze thickens over the surface, and it thickens still, and at last it is so firm that a wagon might be drawn over the solid ice. So with conscience, it films over gradually, until at last it becomes hard and unfeeling and is not crushed even with ponderous loads of iniquity. Isn't that interesting? It starts off by a little tiny film and we're, we're not paying attention to our conscience. He says, hold on to a good conscience. It's important. If you, if, you're, if you blow it, go right to God. Get it straightened out. Get it worked out. Don't just ignore. Don't just let these things pile up and pile up. He says, it starts getting thicker and thicker and then eventually there's like they can drive a wagon over it. 
I wonder if that's what Paul talked about when he talked about a seared conscience. We need a good conscience, and a good conscience is a cleansed conscience, cleansed by the love of God and the blood of Jesus. He says, finally, in, in verse uh, 20, excuse me, the last part of verse 19, he says, some have rejected these. Rejected what? Faith and a good conscience. And so have shipwrecked their faith. They have shipwrecked their own faith by not paying attention, by not fighting, by not trusting in God, by not paying attention to that conscience. One one commentator said, like a foolish sailor who throws his compass overboard, where they reject their conscience. How do we stay off the rocks? We hold on to faith and a good conscience. That'll keep us off the rocks. That'll keep us from danger. Verse 20, he says, among them, and he has specific individuals that he talks about here, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, he said, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. These were real people. These were individuals like you and me who, they're examples. This isn't some pie-in-the-sky kind of thing. He says if you don't pay attention, if you don't hold on to your faith and, and, and a good conscience, you could be shipwrecked. You could end up like the Costa Concordia on its side. You and I. And that may be an area where we need one another to kind of keep an eye on, on one another and say, hey, hey, what's going on with you? What's happening? You say, well, what I really want to know is about what he's saying about here, here being handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. Really, I, I, what I believe it means is to be out of the protection of the church and out of fellowship. into the world, into the enemy's territory. There's something very special about the fellowship, about church, about the, the koinonia that we have. But what he's speaking about, and you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he says this, I'll quote chapter 5, verse 11, 1 Corinthians, I'm writing you now that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but a sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindle with such a man do not even eat. He's saying, you know what? You, 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 have, to, you have to know that if, if we're just allowing these things to happen, and, and today it's very prevalent in the name of tolerance, right? We're going to tolerate anything and everything. We're never going to grow. And, and the reason he says here that, that he took that step was that they would be taught. But that, that they would grow, that they would learn, that, that something positive would come out of it. If we just say, you know what, that's fine. And you say, well, the whole thing seems kind of harsh to me. Well, well, how, you know, and I don't know exactly how he did this here. Some say, well, it was only an apostolic thing that could happen. But you know what, I, I think that we, we've become so far in the other direction, so soft and so... Uh, uh, unable to deal with things in the church that that's why the church is in such bad, uh, a bad state as it is today. Where you have huge sections, sections of the church saying, you know, oh, that's okay. This is okay. That's all right. In the name of, uh, you know, what the world believes. And we're left behind what God says is the right thing. We're not willing to stand up for what's right. 
That's a scary place. But he says that they would learn that they would get right for repentance, for restoration. That's a whole subject in itself, church discipline, and, and maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more. But for you and for me, we need to fight the good fight, don't we? We need to fight the good fight with our faith in God and, and holding on to our faith and holding on to a good conscience. It's important. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, you see each one of us. You see our hearts. You know us. We could be a Timothy. We could be a Paul. We could be an Alexander or Hymenaeus. But Father, I, I pray you would challenge and you would work in each one of our lives to, to not, to not uh, give up, not quit, but to hold on to our faith and, and be listening to that conscience that it would be a cleansed conscience, not a seared conscience, and that we would, that we would listen to you as we stand up and fight the good fight. It's a good fight to stay in the ring. It's not for money. It's for eternity. And so help us, Lord, each one of us. You know where we're at. You know who we are. And so in the quietness of our own hearts, I, I just like each one of us to, just to talk to him and say, Lord, you know me. I'm here. And I want to fight. I want to do what you call me to do. And maybe I need to hear that call a little stronger so I can fight with the calling that you've placed upon my life. Help each one of us, Lord. We're not perfect. You know that and we know that. Cleanse us and wash us, Lord. I pray for any here this morning as well that have never surrendered to Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save you and he wants you to call upon his name and, and say, Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. So I come to you and ask you to save me. Save me, Lord. Please save me. God hears the cry of your heart. and God, God knows where you're at. He knows who you are. And if you pray that and you truly surrender your life to him, he will transform your life. He will give you a brand new life. He will give you a place in heaven forever and ever and ever. Believe and receive eternal life. Father, thank you for this day, and it's, it's a good day. It's a day the Lord has made. And so we get up, and we sing, and we worship, but we also fight. It's a good fight, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, shall we?